I mean, I just cannot even imagine Miss Pat being the frumpy, grumpy old lady she talked about. <laughs> She's the youngest soul I know. Good morning, Freedom Center. Last time that we did this, it was like an hour ago. So this is exciting to be here early. Let's, let's do church today. Let's enjoy the sunset at 9 o'clock tonight. Right? And we'll get through this. So we're excited about it. How many guys were here? You were here. You were here last Sunday. You heard the message. Let me see your hand. How many guys were not here? The backsliders, would you raise your hand, please? Okay, good. All right. Good. Well, listen to last week's sermon because it set up the foundation, really, of a teaching. We're doing a series on worship where we're talking about, last week, the, the root of worship. Worship is the natural exhaling of a heart that knows its Savior. When we have been saved, what will come out of our face is worship. When we know what we've been saved from, what it costs to save us, the love that was behind that salvation, the sacrifice was behind that salvation, we'll begin to live a life of worship rather than, you know, worship is the thing that the people do at the place at the time when they do the stuff. Worship is not music. Somebody say amen. Music is a vehicle we can all get into corporately to take us to a place in Christ. But worship, we got worship music, praise music. Um, we have to be very careful as we use verbiage to remember we're not creating new language. We're living old promises like ancient rooted covenants of worship exist in the lineage of this church and the church since the day of Pentecost on. So I want to encourage you in that. Listen to last week's sermon. But today, everybody say today. Today, we're going to head in kind of a new direction. We talked about the root of it. Today, we're going to start talking about the fruit of it. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to take a look at one of the great stories in the book of Acts. It talks about the fruit of worship, uh, where worship is coming from, the effect that worship has on the people around. If you were here at the very beginning of the service, you got free coffee, and you got to hear Pastor Kyle talking out of, out of the, the book of Acts, chapter 25, or chapter 16, verse 25. So um, I, as we get started with this, let me just tell you this. I was... Um, this is an old story. How many guys, the older you get, you're not quite sure where the stories come from, but you remember like it was warm that day? Uh, how long ago was that? Like I was, it was, I was wearing a T-shirt, uh, you know, and I had hair. So it was a long time ago. And, but I, I remember this. I had TiVo'd. How many guys remember TiVo? The original DVR. I had TiVo'd a Michigan-Ohio State game. And this is how long ago it was. I TiVo'd it and Michigan won. That's how long ago... <laughs> This story took place. But I, I remember it's one of those things like I'm, I'm recording the game. Nobody tell me the score. Nobody tell me the score. I'm recording the game. Hey, just stop. I don't want to hear this. Again. It's, it's like church work day. Like, stop. I just, I don't want to hear this. Again. And then somebody walks in and goes, man, Michigan won. You're like, I want to kill you now. I can't believe you did that. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. It's like you didn't. You just came out. Like words come out of my mouth. I can't help it. I don't relate to that. I think carefully over every word comes out of my mouth. And I, I remember just being like, ah, oh, but how many of you guys know if Michigan beat Ohio State, a Michigan fan's going to watch that. And I don't have to watch any of the commercials anymore because God created TiVo. So I'm fast forwarding, you know, the auto, fast forwarding the politics, fast forwarding, and just the hits, just the, and this is, this is what happened. Because I knew the end score and that my team won when there was a bad call. How many of you guys know there's always a bad call when Michigan plays Ohio State? Most of the calls against Michigan are bad calls. When I saw the bad calls, I go, man, that's not fair. I can't believe that guy's blind. We need to have an investigation, NCAA regulations. I can't believe that. And the commentators, how many of you guys know when they hire Ohio State's coach to be the commentator on ABC for the Michigan games, there is a conspiracy, man, right? Come on, you're making this up. I'm not making that up. Herb Blitzer or whatever his name was. What's his name, Ohio State's old coach? Herb, Urban Meyer, Herb Blitzer, Urban Meyer, almost identical. 
like a steel trap. All right. So when Ohio State scored, I went, well, they scored, but they're not going to win. When there was a bad call, I said, that was a bad call, but they're not going to win. When we scored, I said, you're darn right we scored. And I know the final score. I know who wins this game. And it was funny to enjoy the game knowing the end. Open your Bibles. Let's talk about this. Worship versus worry. And you have to hear me. We are a worrying people. We like to fill in the what-if questions with blanks that are the most imaginable answers we can. I just, uh, J.D., Pastor J.D. this morning was talking about how, uh, you know, this guy gets a flat tire, and he goes, oh, I got a flat tire, which means I'm going to be late to work, which means I'm going to lose my job. When I lose my job, my wife's going to leave, my kids are going to leave, someone's else going to walk my daughter down the aisle. It's like, it's a flat tire, man. It's just a flat tire. It's going to be okay. Keep breathing. And, and I think we do the same thing. When we worry, what we're actually doing, believe it or not, is a form of worship. Worry is to the devil what worship is to God. It's, it's a pre-declaration before the conclusion, I know who wins this fight. I know who wins this game. I know that, that my flat tire is going to result in you know, this, this cat, catastrophic you know, avalanche of bad things happening because I just know what we're doing is we're saying the devil has more strength in my life than God does. The outcome does not belong to me. The outcome does not belong to the Lord. The outcome actually belongs to Satan. So let me, let me show you this in real time. A um, uh, little church history. You guys like church history? How many of you guys like church history? Okay, put your heads back down. How many of you guys like algebra? Okay, because there's medication for one, not the other. I just want to make that clear. So God is leading the Apostle Paul and a few friends through a wonderful adventure. They, they want to go this way. They want to go into Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, nope, you can't go to Asia. It's like, okay, I want to go to Bithynia. And no, you're not going to go to Bithynia. And they end up in this town called Philippi, which is like a little Rome. It's a Roman garrison, a lot of retired Roman uh, centurions and upper-class people. They have their own form of the Colosseum. And it really is like, it's like a little, like in the frontier, in the wilderness, there's this great town called Philippi that's a Roman outpost that's just like Rome in, in micro form. And so God says, go there. How many of you guys know that in an empire where you're supposed to say Caesar is Lord, saying Jesus is Lord, thereby saying Caesar is not, is not overly popular or healthy thing to do. And yet God tells Paul to go there and begin to declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, he, he, as his tradition is, goes first of all to the Jewish people. And because it's a Roman garrison, there's not many Jewish people there. Matter of fact, the only Jews he can find are women that are Jewish that, were, that married into Gentile Roman families, either through conquest or arrangement or whatever it is. So he, he knows that there's no synagogue, that there's no place where the Jews gather to worship. You just kind of find water. There's something about a place of prayer. There's something about water that Jews just, where there's not enough people, you find it. So they go to the water source and they start to walk upstream and sure enough, they find a small prayer gathering of these Jewish women that are married to Gentile men. And it's there that he meets this gal named Lydia. He leads her to Jesus. And it's this beautiful, like the first convert in Europe is a woman by a river hiding her, the fact that she has faith in Jehovah God, and she meets his son, Jesus Christ, right there. And it's a wonderful thing, right? So as he stays in this town, one day he comes across this servant girl who has a small problem. She's demon-possessed. And uh, that can cause issues. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's don't raise your hand if it's a first-hand thing because it'll freak out the people around you. But, but because of this demonic spirit that's inside of her, she can actually kind of fortune tell. Like, like demons know certain things because space and time is a little bit different to them than it is to us. And so if they know what's happening over here, they say, it's going to rain tomorrow. I don't know how they know that, but they know that. And so she has this ability to kind of foretell more accurately the future. And so her owners, she's a slave girl, her owners are making money renting her out for information. She's reading her cards. She's, you know, putting her, her juju in the bowl and stirring it up. She's doing the whole Rafiki thing in the tree with the gourd opens up and eats it. She's kind of one of those things. So um, 
she's following Paul and Silas, and she says, everybody listen. They know who she is. Everybody listen. These men are servants of the Most High God that have been sent here to tell you the way to be saved. Now, how many of you guys know what she's saying is true? So what's happening? Is the devil promoting Christianity in Philippi? No. The devil's trying to get a foothold and get his undercover agent in the church from the very foundation. Just because people say what they're supposed to say doesn't mean people are who they're supposed to be. And that goes for me, by the way. Test all the spirits and make sure that they be from Christ, right? The Bible tells us that. So finally, after days of this woman just driving him nuts, Paul turns around and goes, come out. And the demon comes out. And she's like, I don't even know what time it is. So her owners are ticked because the retirement plan just got delivered from a demon. And now she's just a servant girl. And they're upset. So they cause a riot. How many of you guys know everywhere Paul went, there were two choices, revival or riot? How many of you know that when the gospel comes, there's two choices? An acceptance of the gospel, revival, a denial of the gospel, and a real frustration with, with truth being uh, an exposing agent to lies, and there's a riot. Same thing today as there was back then. Somebody say amen. If you're not causing a revival or a riot, you're probably not preaching the gospel. Yeah, a little hard, but there it was. You guys okay? It's like, it's early. Man, it's so early for you to be stepping on my toes. I'm not, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm trying to break your legs. So what happens is... What happens is this. They, they beat these guys. They call the police, if you will. The Romans come. They arrest them. They beat them with these rods. And, and what a rod did versus a whip, a whip tore from the beginning. A rod caused a bruise that then with subsequent blows would burst open. I mean, these are deep, uh, just uncontained, bleeding, um, probably beaten into unconsciousness because the Romans were known. You know, the Jews had to beat someone. The, the law said no more than 40 lashes with the whip. Well, then they, they would always do 39 in case they, were, they miscounted. They didn't want to go on over. The Romans weren't constrained by anything besides not killing them. And so they beat them until they couldn't stand. They beat them until they were unconscious. When these guys come to, they're, they're laying on, a, on a, a floor, a stone floor. Their feet are in iron stocks. They can't even roll over. They're laying on their wounds in the filth of the last series of men and women that sat right in that spot. They're in the innermost cell in Philippi. In other words, they're slated for execution. There was no means by which food was going to come through the window. Someone's going to care for their needs. Waste could be removed. They're just in the stinky, nasty, dark, windowless, hopeless, despair-filled, room, the worst place for the worst people, and that's where they find themselves in agony in the middle of the night. So what do they do? Anybody know? Here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. That makes sense. And singing hymns to God. You lost me. How many guys know you wake up in that mess, slated for execution, atheists pray. If you're in a foxhole and, and the enemy's and bullets off your sandbags, I don't care where you're at with God, you're praying. You wake up in a Philippian jail, slated for execution, you're praying. So they're praying, that makes sense to me, and singing out loud hymns to God. You know, Brother Silas, here in the middle of the night, it reminds me of the old song. <laughs> Open your hymnals to page number 47 and recite with me the first and third verse. And the stands as we begin, and the organist begins to play. I mean, they are literally singing hymns in the middle of the prison, in the middle of the night. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. This is not after they're delivered. This is while they're being delivered unto death. They didn't worship after their deliverance. They worship in the middle of their pain, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the prison. So here, here's, here's the question, and this is a big one. How? 
How many of you guys wish you, you had a, a walk with Christ that was so strong your, your faith could even endure a flat tire? It could endure the worst news. A doctor, a lawyer, a family member, a government official, a police officer could give you. That, that, that your first reaction, if you were to wake up in the middle of the worst day of your life, the worst night, filled with despair of your life, the first thing you'd reach for is prayer and worship. How many of you guys would love that life? Can you understand that if you can find that in Christ, in you, there is nothing that will ever defeat you again for the rest of your life? I'm not saying you won't go through hard times. I'm saying you will never be at the mercy of the circumstances of this world again. That's what they have. They're about to die, and they're like, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's sing. I can, I can, you know, again, it's just rude. Prisoners are trying to sleep, and they're singing. How many of you guys ever had a roommate like that? We're on a missions trip to Boladero. We're exhausted. These kids from Mexico City come and join us up in the mountains of Oaxaca with the Mazateco Wabla de Jimenez Indians. And all day long, we're working in the heat while well, they all disappear. We had one kid named, named Memo, and, and we could never find him. We started a documentary called Finding Memo. And, and he, he was just gone. But about midnight, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the village, in the middle of the tent, one of those jokers would pull out a guitar and start singing. Now, we had to get up in four hours because we're working, and they're disappearing. So I walked over to their tent, and I politely said to them, if you don't shut up right now, brother. How many of you guys know it doesn't matter what language you speak if you're angry enough, they understand. Silencio, or kill you, oh. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, good, bueno. So the next morning, I got them up, and they started working with us. Anyway, how, how is it? Where does the secret power come from? Where does this power come from that in the middle of the night, middle of their pain, middle of their trial, middle of their persecution, they naturally begin to supernaturally invoke the presence of God. And here's the answer. Are you ready? How many of you guys want this? Say amen. amen. This is where it comes from. They knew the score at the end of the game. That was a bad call, but I know the score at the end of the game. Man, that was a cheap hit, but I know the score at the end of the game. Man, that's not fair. That's not just. God led me to Philippi. God told me what to say. Where's God in all this? Wait, 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 wait. I know the score at the end of the game. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I've been injured in obedience. But I know the score at the end of the game right now. I'm not at the mercy of something that's happening. I, I am on the receiving end of what has happened through Christ in my name. Jesus has predetermined a destiny, a place he's gone to prepare for me. So if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. But you cannot defeat me because I know the victory that's at the end of the game. My wife likes basketball. Her brother coached and won the state championship girls uh, 1A Oklahoma basketball game last night. I did not know the end of the score. I didn't know the end of the game. It was happening in front of us. It was happening in front of her. When my wife watches basketball, it's best to play with the dog and stay out of the way because she's animated. Those freshmen, she's animated. Final four tournaments, the neighbors call the police thinking it's a domestic issue. It's not. My wife's just watching basketball. No, there's only one voice screaming. It'd be abuse on, you know, I'd be being abused if that was the case. But I, literally, she just, oh, oh, you idiot, oh, you know. But if she knew that that was a taped game, she'd be like, oh, it's a bad call. He should coach them up better next year. But I know the score at the end of the game, right? So this is what they do. This is, you ready? This is, this is what they did. And look what God does. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 26. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The fruit of worship comes through salvation. 
That's the root of worship comes through self. I, like, I just, I'm saved. I can't say thank you enough. But the fruit of worship is freedom. Come on, let me say it again. The root of worship, I am saved, but the fruit of worship is freedom. If you are not a worshiper, you are not free. If you are free, you're a worshiper. If you're a worshiper, you're free. These things work together. There's the sense of I know the score. I know how this ends. I don't care what I'm going through right now. I don't care how unjust it was. I don't care how unfair it was. I don't care what just blew up in the tech room. What I care about is at the end of my life, there's an eternity with Jesus that is waiting for me. I consider these light and momentary afflictions not to be being compared to the glory that will be revealed that day in Christ Jesus. I win. I'm on the winning team. I have a destination prepared for me. I want you to understand this. God set them free. All the doors flew open. All the chains came loose. The earthquake was for everybody. It wasn't just for those who were worshiping. Listen to this. There were people around them who got just as free as they got free. Can I suggest to this church that we would be a much more liberating place if we were a much more liberated people? Can I suggest that the freer we get in worship, the freer our neighbors will get when they come to worship with us? Can I suggest that, that though many of you be Caucasian in nature, you can sing and clap simultaneously? <laughs> can I suggest that the altar space during worship is not just for those under 25 years old? Can I suggest that one generation learn from another and one generation teach the other how to worship God? Because the older people among us have a legacy that they should be giving to a younger generation. And the younger generation has an enthusiasm that might just help some of the older generation too. What if we understood the score at the end of the game and we gathered together to celebrate that score, not just mourn the battles of our week, not just, you know, beleaguer the politics of our day, not just have conversations about the injustice and the bad calls and the touchdowns the other team scored. What if we came together and said, in the end, we win. So let's worship today as if we have already won, because somewhere we already have, right? God set him free, but God was just getting started. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 27. The jailer woke up. Remember the jailer? The guy that locked them, the guy that beat them, the guy that closed the door, the guy that's going to deliver them unto death the next day. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, being a Roman, he realized if he, if he lost track of those people he was supposed to keep track of, his life would be required of him in a torturous way. So instead of being tortured, he decides to Harry carry himself, right? He drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners, they'd all escaped. He's going to be executed in a horrible way, so he might as well die with a little bit of honor. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. This is the man who beat him and locked his feet in stocks. Not just him, but his buddy. It's one thing to get beaten. It's another thing to watch somebody you love get beaten and be held in chains when you're powerless to do anything about it. If there's anybody on the face of the planet who I would, in Paul's circumstances, say, Let's just be quiet for a minute until he's done doing what he needs to do. But Paul said, don't, stop, stop, stop. Jesus doesn't just want us to be free. He wants our enemies to be free too. Don't harm yourself. Hold that sword. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, (laughs) boy, the, the tone has changed. What must I do to have what you have? What must I do to be what you are? What must I do to be saved? And they replied, it's, it's really not what you think it is. It's not years of training and effort and, you know, success of the yellow belt becomes the green belt, becomes the brown belt, becomes the black belt. This is how you get there. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You, and here comes this prophetic word, not just you, but your whole household tonight is going to receive Jesus. And that, do you see the forgiveness in that? He doesn't want him to suffer. He wants his salvation. 
Why? Because he knows the score at the end of the game. So he doesn't hate the ref that made the bad call. You just made a bad call. Even if you hate U of M, you just made a bad call. But at the end of the game, we win. Let me tell you something, guys. I, I don't know how he knows he needs to be saved, but there was something that happened that night that revealed something that wasn't happening in that man's life. And I will tell you this, church of the living God, hear me. When we live in alignment with what we're talking about today, the world will say, how do you do that? I freaked out. I, I had eye surgery uh, the other day. It was, it was an interesting experience. I, don't, I didn't see it, but it was an interesting experience. They found that I had a, a left bundle branch block and, and we're like, I'm in my heart. So if you got some, so this can mean you had a serious cardiac issue in the past. It can mean nothing. It can mean you're a freak. And I thought, I vote for number three, personally. Uh, I mean, nothing is fun, but freak is funner. Amen. And so they said, we're not sure. We got to get this. And, I, and they said, hey, what kind of a lens did you, what are you here for? How many of you know that nowadays when they operate on you, they make 27 people come in and ask you the exact same question. What's your name? What's your birth date? And what are you here for? So Jim... You know, September, I don't know, I was pretty young when I was born. I think it was a September, you know, date. And I'm here to have a cataract removed from my left eye and have a permanent multifocal lens implanted. Five people say, okay, thank you. And they mark on my face. They take magic markers and they write on your face to prove that they were there. They write on your face. (laughs) Let me back up. They take the glasses off a man who's blind without his glasses, put him in a robe that opens in the back and then write on his face. That was for you, live stream. <laughs> People that listen to this by, you know, podcast later, they're like, what are they laughing about? I just, it doesn't matter. Fifth person comes in, what are you here for? You know, Jim Wiegand, 1965, uh, multifocal lens removed cataract. She goes, you're here for what? How many guys know that when you're wearing a paper towel in front of strangers and blind, what you don't want to hear is what? You're here for what? Like somebody cuts your hair and goes, oops, right? I mean, that, like learn what not to say. And so I, what? I went, oh. And she goes, no, I don't have any of this on your paperwork. We don't have any. Like what, what is this? Well, what she didn't know, my surgeon didn't know, was that earlier that day, I'm, I'm talking to the Lord, and the Lord speaks to me about just trust people that I, I put in your path today. That was a word from the Lord. It was a promise. I'm like, well, that's a good word. On a day you're going to be you know, put to sleep like a dog, and, and people are going to dig into your eye, and now you're going to feel some pressure, which we all know means hellfire pain, Right? <laughs> You know, if you feel some pressure, sit real still. I'm putting a needle in your eye. Like, listen to what you just said to me. Now, stay calm. You're on fire. I mean, that's what you said to me. So I'm trying to stay. And so finally, I just said, she said, listen, I don't, that lens doesn't exist. The lens that you ordered doesn't exist. You, you've got a freakishly long unicorn eye. Your heart situation, you're this. You're, by the way, my heart's completely healthy. I've, been, I've had a heart cath, and I'm, I'm super like I'm. My cardiologist said your heart, my 45-year-old neighbor cardiologist said your heart is healthier than my heart. So that's, that's a great part of that. And I think he's healthy. Otherwise, that's not good news. But I think it's good news. <laughs> he runs, so he's okay. So we, I literally, I, at the end of this, I, I come out of the surgery. I looked at the, my doctor. I said, what would you, if, just trade me places. I don't know you, but I trust you, Doc. What would you do? She said, I would do this. That's what we'll do. Good? You good? Are you okay? I'm so sorry. I'm, so, that's not a, I'm not uptight about this. I trust you. I know everybody's doing the best they can. I know that you didn't expect my heart situation. I know that you didn't expect the lens not to show up. I, know, I don't want you upset while you try to fix my eyes. <laughs> but I just literally, I, I don't know why. God just gave me this grace. I just, listen, I love you. I love this. I love that. And I'm not even medicated yet, right? This isn't like... I don't like love them and I want Doritos kind of love. Like I just, I'm just like I'm at peace. It's all over with. 
Now I am doped up. She comes in the room. She says, can I ask you a question? Just a personal question? I said, yeah. Babe, what was, it was something along the lines of, you're, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. My wife has to tell me what happened because <laughs> not all that happened. You didn't tell everybody all that happened. Just that one part, though. She says something like, your, your faith in God? How does she word that? Do you remember? How did, how did you go from being an atheist? Yeah. I, I used to be an, how did you go from being an atheist to having faith in God. And so according to her, I was eloquent, yet stoned. And, <laughs> and I explained it. But get, let me say this. The reason she asked me about my faith was not because I voted Republican. The reason she asked me about my faith was not because of a bumper sticker that was pro-life. The reason she asked me about my faith was not because she looked at my bank account and realized I was a capitalist. The reason she asked me about my faith and she saw a person going through something difficult with peace, and she said, what do you have that I don't? Are you still here? Yes. So we got to keep moving. Listen, when we live like we know the final score, mercy replaces revenge because we know the outcome. Yeah. When, when we live like we know the final score, the need of salvation will become obvious to people that do not know Christ, and people will be drawn to Jesus. Like, the doors are all open. If, if I've been praying for deliverance and the chains fall off and the doors open, I'm running and thanking Jesus. But not only did they stay there, the prisoners stayed there. The other prisoners stayed there. Why did you run? I just, it's the most peace I've ever felt in my life. I was, my chains were loose, but something else was coming off of me that I carried that caused me to be in chains. And I just didn't want to leave. Look at this. God's still not done. Then they spoke the word of the Lord. Worship team, join me, please. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. They immediately, and then immediately he went, uh, and, and all his house were baptized. They've all come to Christ. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You're like, well, that's great, man, but that's a long time ago, and people were tougher back then. These are supermen. Ten years after this incident in Philippi, he writes a book to his friends in Philippi called the Book of Philippians. And this is what he says. He goes, like, right, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, like he's in prison in Rome. Uh, there's two imprisonments. This is the first one. The second one, he'll be executed. And things are not going well. He is chained. He's guarded day and night. People can come and go. But he, he is a prisoner of Rome, and he will be executed this time. Not that time in Philippi, but in Rome he will be. Because even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, like there's only so much in it, the container before this is drip, and then it's empty. That's where he's at. On the sacrifice serving, coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. What's he saying to them? Guys, what got me through that night in the prisons was getting me through this day in the prison too. What got me through that moment back then is what's getting me through this moment now. And that's simply this. I know the score. Jesus TiVo'd it for me and wrote it down in a book called Revelation. And in the end, if you read to the very end, guess who wins? People that love Jesus. He says this, further, my brothers and sisters, the next chapter, rejoice in the Lord. Well, what's happened is the jailer's lost his job. Lydia's marriage is not benefited by her coming home to her Gentile pagan-worshiping husband saying, I met Jesus. Who introduced you to this guy named Jesus? This rabbi named Paul. Where, where did you meet a guy named Paul? I, I, I pray down by the river sometimes on the Sabbath day. You do what? How many of us know Jesus sometimes makes uh, our lives more difficult before he makes eternity glorious? So he's writing them saying, listen, you guys, I just want to remind you. Listen, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because you know the end of the game. Look at this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. I think of Paul here saying, and again, and again, and again, and again. Keep your eyes focused on the end of the game. You know who wins this. Don't get discouraged. Don't get complacent. 
Don't, don't be frustrated. Don't be hurt. Don't be angry. Just trust the one who created you and created eternity and gave you Jesus so you could get from here to there and start living like you're there even though we're going through what we're going through here. Keep your eyes focused. That was a bad call. It was. But what's the final score? Man, the other team scored a touchdown. Ohio State scored. Yes, they did. But what's the final score? But what about Rich Rodriguez versus the... What's the final score? When I knew that Michigan won, I could enjoy every play of the game knowing that in the end, Michigan had victory. If you know the final score, you can enjoy every play of the game knowing you have final victory. Are you still here? So do you know the final score? And do you know the one who won it for you? Nobody leave. Everybody stand. You got to say one of the times like, oh, I got to go because it's, uh, you know, I got something to do in the foyer way. Like, I get that, but we're not done today. The song that the, the worship team wrote, we sang was the second song. You are God, you are good, and you're never, ever, 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 ever going to leave. You're the God of seasons. Um, man, I, I, I cannot think of a better song to express what we talked about today. And just before we, we just turn over to the worship team to lead us in that song, I want to say this to you. And, and if you would, it's a little bit dark in here for me right now. Guys, just turn off the lights just a little bit because I need to see something real quick. Yeah, if it's really dark, though, they won't leave. So turn them right back off again after I see this. All right, if they do leave, I'll see them now. Maybe just leave it the way it is. Being honest, you're in church and you're amongst people that love the Lord and love you. Hasn't been the best of weeks. It hasn't been the best of seasons. And I'm upset about the bad calls. I'm upset about the touchdowns the enemy's making. If, that, if that's you, just being honest, let me see your hand. It's been tough. It's been tough. Well, Father, I pray for your uplifted hand that soon what we'll see is an uplifted heart. I pray, Jesus, you would remind our souls, remind our hearts, even our minds, God, of the final score. Man, people can be frustrating. Man, injustice makes me furious. Man, I can get so bogged down and stupid. But right here, right now, God, remind my soul of an eternity that I'm one second closer to with every click of the clock one second closer right now I'm thinking about worship but there'll be a day and worship will be my only thought worship will be my only care loving you will be my only love so God I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus the author and the perfecter of my faith because I am one second closer to home you're here today and you're not right with God, don't wait any longer. Jesus paid it all so you can be free. Receive what he's done for you and be free. You are God.